welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today to talk to you about Star Trek Mission New York. Indeed, the first uh, New York Star Trek convention in, as they said, a great long while, many decades. It seems that it's, it, it's from a time before memory, Pete. When last uh, there was a Star Trek convention in uh, in NYC, and uh, certainly held at the place to have any major convention, the Jacob K. Javits uh, Convention Center. Yes, a staple of uh, New York Comic Con, something that uh, you know we we cover rather uh, intensely, and uh, have come to think of as our convention. But uh, only fitting that in this 50th anniversary year, uh, immediately around the corner here um, on September 8th, we go back to Trek, go back to its roots. Uh, The first Star Trek convention was was held in Manhattan and this big 50th bash, certainly, uh, you know, back where it belongs. A, uh, a three-day convention uh, held, uh, as we said, at the same location as New York Comic Con. Uh, they did not have that main convention floor that just goes on and on and on and on at New York Comic Con. They did not uh, have a need to use that, but certainly used a number of the the panel rooms, including the main stage, as well as uh, the, the North Pavilion, which New York Comic Con uh, goers will know as Artist Alley. Uh, that's that's where the the quote unquote convention floor was with vendors and whatnot. Uh, three day convention uh, certainly seemed to be to be quite well attended. The, the number I had heard informally was twenty thousand, which uh, you know by San Diego and New York standards uh, for those conventions, that's not a lot. But twenty thousand Star Trek fans in New York City over three days—that's uh, that's quite a quite a resounding success. It was what it had to be, and full credit here to uh, our peeps at Reed Pop, who know how to put a convention on in the city of New York. Um, we've been to other Star Trek conventions, and those are nowhere near as well run as this one was. Yeah, the uh, the unnamed other company that seems to do most of the other Star Trek conventions there's definitely a feeling of uh, like <clears throat> we will uh, take your money now and uh, let you let you bask in the Star Trek, uh, and then once the Star Trek deed is done, please leave. Um, this was definitely much more of a of a wide open welcoming experience. Um, I don't know, it just had that little extra pizzazz. There's nothing I can quite point to to say the people at Creation are mean and people at Reed Pop are nice. It's nothing quite that starkly different but there was just that little extra you know there was that 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 difference between ordinary and extraordinary well far be it from me to create any controversy matt but there wasn't the at arm's length mentality with this convention that we've seen at those other conventions were there levels where people were asked to oh you want to get a little bit closer well you got to pay for the vip thing yeah kind of like the super duper gold platinum club that we've seen at those other conventions however what we had never seen what was smart shrewd and really you know ingratiating to the fans uh took place in our very first panel 
where they said, okay, we're, we're going to have everybody not in the VIP seats move into the VIP seats. And that was really, really nice because one of the first uh, Star Trek conventions that you and I went to in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, we kind of didn't know that there was the, the extra super expensive seating. So we just grabbed seats wherever. And this lady was like, you're not supposed to be there. You know, she was not even a worker, mind you, just policing the fact that she had seat, you know, A24. And how dare we sit in seats A20 and 21. Um totally welcoming environment they were kind of read the room properly that that first panel which we're about to get into um was not gonna have standing room only so you know they said move on over to the vip seats if somebody with vip comes and asks you for your seat please move back which is you know is totally fair um i think in a perfect world there's not you know the vip thing but the flip side is if you have a room with three thousand seats and you want to block off what i'll estimate was maybe 100 to 200 of those uh, front in the center as VIP, you literally could get seats that were six feet away from VIP seats that were not VIP and were still quite close to the front. So, you know, it's all good. And one other distinction I think is important, you know, for us bringing you content is that Read Pop recognizes the power of the press. And, uh, you know, we apply for and are graciously given media credentials. There's no distinction drawn in terms of where we sit. Like there's a press area and that's the same for New York Comic Con. And we're fine with the way that they do that. But these other companies have not recognized press. So, Pete, let's now talk about that first panel that we were at growing up Trek, which I think you and I both were like, okay, this will kind of be interesting. And spoiler alert, it ended up being delightful. It was, and you wouldn't necessarily think that three people uh, related to really legends within Star Trek. Uh, first off, Rod Roddenberry, who is Gene Roddenberry's son, and then Adam and Julie Nimoy, the children of the late Leonard Nimoy, um, would be as entertaining and really as uh, enlightening as it was. It was it it was just absolutely wonderful. Each of them uh, came out to talk about. Uh, interestingly enough, each have done documentaries. There's the uh, there's the Spock documentary for the love of Spock, and uh, Julie Nimoy has done a documentary about uh, COPD, the uh, the pulmonary disease that uh, that affected Leonard Nimoy. And then Rod Roddenberry, of course, has done a documentary about uh, kind of the evolution of Star Trek and his relationship to it and whatnot. And uh, Pete, I don't know where you want to start because I have just su such glowing memories of the whole, the whole hour. I think, you know, with the documentary that's coming out the day after um, the 50th anniversary of the first airing of Star Trek um, on, uh, on Friday, on September 9th, uh, 2016 that Adam Nimoy is squarely in the, the pop culture gaze right now. And <clears throat> obviously with the, the loss of his father in, in the last um, 18 months to put this together and talked a little bit about how he had approached his father, um, you know, just about two years ago, starting to, to put this together. And, and I, I thought it was interesting. He said he took a meeting with his dad <laughs> <laughs> which you know ho hollywood speak 
Um, but obviously Leonard Nimoy was the consummate artist and, you know, so interesting how they talked about and, and Adam talked a little bit about the, the distance and it's kind of similar that all three of them had with their, you know, very talented and, and, you know, busy fathers that, uh, you know, the, the lack of formal education on, Leonard Nimoy's part, yet the ability for him to produce over a 55-year period, just such memorable art through his acting, through his directing, through his photography, through his, um, you know, many, many pursuits, song, um, you know, that this is cathartic for them to, to work through. I mean, Julie talked a little bit how, you know, she's hearing her father's voice every day as she's finishing up her COPD, highly illogical, um, documentary, which is slated to come out in November. And, uh, you know, Adam Nimoy is, you know, with, with the, with the hair kind of over to the, to the one side for me, he, he really, looks like his dad and, you know, kind of, kind of brought a little bit of closure. I never get to see Leonard Nimoy up close and to see his son, to, you know, have him talk about this documentary. I'm, I'm really interested in checking out the documentary and was really happy to get to see him speak. Adam Nimoy has such an interesting uh, life story. Uh, obviously much of it with, uh, which uh, intersects with his sister, Julie, the, the notion that, uh, that, they kind of were peripherally aware of uh, Spock being a character and Spock being uh, being a hit and whatnot. Um, and then uh, one magazine or another accidentally published their their home address. So now fan mail is coming to the house in droves. Uh, they go do an appearance at a local mall. Not they. Leonard Nimoy does an appearance. The kids right. go along. Uh, with him and then now they're close to being mobbed to the point that Leonard Nimoy kind of says we need to get out of here and starts kind of you know pushing people out of the way to protect his kids to get back to the car so so there they are kind of seeing this phenomenon uh up close all the way to traveling with him uh in the post Star Trek era to to Spain to do a, a a western that uh that uh I believe Adam Nimoy said was not particularly good but they got to go to Spain and spend time there and just to kind of to see this phenomenon from from such an intimate point of view where it's dad who all of a sudden is now helping take them around the world and and um it it was just i mean not to overuse the word but it was just absolutely fascinating yeah i i just think that the way in which their lives were obviously touched by their fathers And then here with an audience of fans 50 years now into the creation of this thing that their fathers made such a piece of the pop culture landscape. Um, It's like a giving back. And, um, you know, Rod Roddenberry obviously talked about his father, but, you know, something that came up that resonated really with the fans there was his mother was Majel Barrett Roddenberry, you know, a, a, a star in the original show in the original pilot. Um, and, and then, you know, a different character as Christine Chapel in the original series. 
into the movies um and then later reappearing as a different character in uh Loxana Troy during the next gen and you know if we're going to call Gene Roddenberry this great bird of the galaxy then Majel Barrett Roddenberry is very clearly the mother of Star Trek and um just there's not a person that has a negative thing to say about this woman. Granted, there's a couple negative things we might say about Gene Roddenberry. Um, And it was really nice to have her get some of that due. Um, You know, she passed about four or five years ago now and um, really kind of felt her presence there as a result of uh, that acknowledgement. One uh, great anecdote that Rod had, particularly for, uh, I think, certainly people younger than a certain age who maybe would not have ever experienced Majel Barrett on the on the convention circuit. Uh, he said that uh, when there were signature, you know, the, the signature opportunities, the, the autograph opportunities, how everybody else would be in the autograph area, which for those who don't know is uh, is, is always a pay situation. Uh, she instead would try and get a room away from that because she just wanted to spend time with the fans. And it was kind of just sit there for two, three, four hours, talk with people, uh, certainly a time before, you know, smartphones and selfies and that sort of thing. But he definitely painted her as um, a little bit more benevolent than some of the actors there looking to get their autograph money. Not that there's anything wrong with with, with that, and it ties into something that I, I believe Adam Nimoy mentioned, that they all remember, all three of those children remember the lean years. Well, maybe, maybe not Rod because he was younger, but they all know about the lean years that there were after Star Trek. And Adam Nimoy referenced something that I was not familiar with, which was in the early 70s, Shatner had been so typecast and found work so difficult to get that he was actually living out of his car for a period of time. So... Adam kind of said by extension, that's why Shatner is still working so hard as he is at 84, because when you've, when you've gone hungry and when you've known fame and then loss and then fame again, you want to work to kind of, uh, you know, save for the rainy day or whatever it might be. And so again, I get that these actors come and it's 30, 40, 50, 60, $80 for a signature and you do your high hello and you, you walk away with a bunch of cash. Um, but that said, bring it back to Majel Barrett this idea that that she was a little less interested in that and more interested in the fan interaction it w- was just a, a lovely lovely anecdote about her and to hear fans in the audience there you know call out you know we loved your mother and things like that you know she uh-huh. was this this grand dom of the galaxy and to to be ushered into that next generation I mean, granted, her husband was the producer, but, you know, to to reappear then and to be as loved as she was, I didn't expect that I would get as much out of Roddenberry's contribution to this panel as I did. Um, really kind of enjoyed the angle talking about how, you know, his father died when he was 17 and he, and he had been very rebellious as a teen and, you know, great anecdote. Um, with his mom that they got in an argument one day, but she had come home from filming the next generation as Loxana Troy and left in the, uh, the black contacts that, (laughs) 
really kind of creeped him out. <laughs> she didn't say anything about it. Um, and uh, yeah, just somebody who with this famous father wasn't handed the keys of the kingdom, like here, go make movies, go do this um, kind of had to learn to do it referenced taking 10 years to make his documentary about his father and, you know, working through cathartically like all three of them are um, their, their various issues with their fathers to create that work. Or Rod Roddenberry to have been, so removed from Star Trek during the 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 entirety of uh, the time that he shared with his father, um, but now he's kind of come back to that. It, it really was a wonderful story, and I like that he didn't sugarcoat it. I mm-hmm. like that for both parents, he he said that there was friction and sometimes there was distance, and you know he acknowledged, uh, particularly when 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 the focus was on Major Barrett, he, he acknowledged his love for his mother and the closeness he had with his mother, but then immediately followed it up with, but still there I was at times with my leather jacket, listening to heavy metal and yeah. getting into fights as one does in their, in their teens and their twenties, et cetera. Um, so just an absolutely heartfelt panel where were they, were they there also to push the three documentaries, you know, we've, we've mentioned the one by Adam Nimoy and, and Rod Roddenberry. Um, I, I know, too, we've mentioned the one uh, that uh, Julie Nimoy is doing about uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease that uh, that was uh, a, a major factor in uh, in Leonard Nimoy's uh, quality of life towards the end of his life. And, of course, uh, smoking had contributed a great deal to that. So did they all come there with a product to push? Sure. But it, it didn't feel like that for a minute. It just felt like, let me talk to you about my life. And recently, my life is about making this documentary or, or this one or this one. Right. Yeah. And if we're going to talk about conventions in general, the Star Trek convention is why we now have something like a San Diego Comic-Con or a New York Comic-Con or a Comic-Con in any city this is the model and um, these types of stories, the the stories inevitably about the lean years, about the personal interactions are the bedrock of uh, this type of programming. And, uh, you know, just a really, really authentic and unvarnished way to start our experience at uh, Star Trek Mission New York. So we had been uh, we had been clued into the fact ahead of time that uh, breaking from what from what New York Comic Con does at uh, at Star Trek Mission New York they would not be clearing the main stage room. So uh, so we we definitely stuck around. Pete, what was the next panel that was after uh, Growing Up Trek? That would be Engaging the Universe Star Trek: The Next Generation cast which included, of course, uh, Jonathan Frakes, who played uh, Will Riker, and um, Marina Sirtis, who played Deanna Troy, Michael Dorn, who played uh, Worf, LeVar Burton, who played uh, Jordi LaForge, and uh, the wonderful Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Crusher. It was absolutely wonderful to see them all, uh, all up there on the stage, um, interestingly enough, we, in previous, uh, conventions, we've seen all but Dorn, uh, at least mm-hmm. all from, from, from who was up on the stage. 
Um, but it was it was nice seeing them in this different arrangement. I mean, we're this far out from when they started doing conventions. Uh, Jonathan Frakes uh, had an anecdote about his first convention in 1987. Um, they have their convention presentation down pat and i don't Mm -hmm. quite want to call it a performance but these are actors and they they know enough about each other they spent enough time together on convention stages and on sound stages to just be able to go in there no script throw me a question boom i can do two minutes on it and then and then push it on to the next person and let them say something and it was it was definitely casual it was laid back but it was fun it was funny um where do you want to start, Pete? I know that I know that I know that there's there's one thing that was neither fun nor funny that that I don't know if you want to start with that, but that was the we'll, one. We'll uh, get to that. We'll get I'll, to that. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll build to that in that um, Gates McFadden talked about her love of live theater and and you know the the host had ham fistedly tried to hand it off to her. You know why is why is live theater important? Duh. Uh, but her point here that anything could happen. And if Shatner is, you know, now the the father figure of this uh, extended family that, that shows up for uh, conventions and these larger and largest conventions, then these guys are the rock stars. And it was clearly the most packed panel of the weekend. Uh, there were people who were frozen out of it. There was some uh, some vinegar online about that. Um, but yeah, anything could happen. They bring you that air of it. And Matt, stuff did happen. He during the Q and A, and we'll we'll return to, uh, to to what was said before the Q and A in a moment. But during the Q and A, uh, one of the first questions, Pete. There must have been magic in the air. Um, and, and, well, Peter went down like this. We we couldn't quite see where the questioners were. Uh, but, uh, you know, oh, up on the left here, you have a question. And um, the, the young man says, you know, hi, my name is so-and-so. And then he says something which I'm sure was Klingon. It wasn't Kapla, but I'll just say, just for the purposes of our narrative, hi, my name is Jordan, or whatever, Kapla, Kapla. Then he says... Susie, will you marry me? <gasps> Gasp from the astonished 3,000 people. The, you know, people all of a sudden start standing up, applauding this wonderful thing. The, the cast of Star Trek Next Generation, they're astonished. They're looking down. Um, and, and then there's a weird buzz from the front. And from we, where we were sitting on the right-hand side, all of a sudden, as you see uh, Marina Sirtis, who happened to be closest to it, she kind of starts saying uh, oh my oh my <laughs> um and there are some kind of other looks of consternation from the cast again we can't see what's going on in, in the front row uh, all of a sudden you hear bum, 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 which was the the footsteps of the the young man running full speed out of the out, out of the main stage area i mean full full speed yeah, um, in his uh, you know a gold uh, cosplay shirt, uh, not acting out a scenario where there's a warp core breach. Th- this was uh, 
Yeah, and I know there was some speculation later that it might have been a prank because apparently the the woman being proposed to was in a uh, an anime inspired uh, costume, whereas uh, the proposer was in his Starfleet uniform. But the speed with which he ducked out of there, we did not see her leave, but she she did leave. Um, certainly belied that. Yeah, it was an unfortunate moment. Uh, as somebody on Twitter said, that's why you don't propose uh, at a convention, just just in case. Um, so there was definitely a moment where it was, I think everybody in the room who's ever, you know, who's ever uh, had, had even the briefest moment of heartache, you kind of felt sympathetic for what was going on. Um, and then quickly the 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 crew of the USS Enterprise was like, okay, let's let's move on. Let's move on. They're quickly moving back to their seats. And you could kind of feel in the air that there was this there was this sourness because it was like, you know, I clearly this this guy just had something backfire in front of thousands of people yeah. and how awful that must be personally and publicly and and so on and so forth. And then Gates McFadden saved the day, or at least kind of saved the saved the, uh, the the sentiment in the air by saying live theater anything can happen and that kind of gave the audience an opportunity to kind of take in a breath get a chuckle and move on because we're all there to be entertained and have fun and sorry buddy that your proposal didn't work out but now back to the regularly scheduled program there's a very famous photo of uh, the entire cast of the next generation um for a photo op which i'm sure cost several hundred if not thousand dollars and uh a man proposing to uh his girlfriend in front of them and there's some still frame reactions of uh is this really happening and and stuff like that and yeah you know listen i i get people love this uh content these actors to the point where all right we're together in front of them let's let's make this a moment and get engaged but really i think maybe we could pick a a better time (laughs) to do it and uh if if there's a cast that could roll with this and then move right out of it and and get back to the yucks after yuck uh it's this one Absolutely, and uh, and indeed to bring it back to to bring it back to the cast that was up there, um, they they gave each cast member kind of time in turn to to talk uh, first about their connections to New York. Uh, of course, Gates McFadden, who who interestingly I think has um, has aged the best since the end of the TV show, in part because. Uh, she has a background in in dance, so I'm sure that that's kept her fit in a way where where you know, perhaps time has caught up with uh, with some of the other actors. Um, she has spent time acting and and uh, directing in New York. Um, she has spoke a bit about her career as a choreographer. Um, she's also taught theater, so Professor McFadden. Um, uh, there was mention about how how Marina Sirtis, uh she lived there for three months, was it, Pete? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, in a shoebox. <laughs> in a shoebox, indeed. Um, and I, it, it was just great seeing the whole cast kind of kind of share in in, in their very laid back way. Um, 
even down to the point that at a certain point there was a question from the audience about uh, merchandising. What's the weirdest piece of merchandise that you've seen? Which I thought was a really uh, a really fun question. And uh, they, they make their way down to LeVar Burton, and, and he said, you know, before Star Trek, I didn't have a lot of opportunities for merchandising. Uh, there are no Roots action figures. And that got, that got a big a big laugh of like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he just said that. Right. And then, Pete, uh, should we mention what, what Michael Dorn pantomimed in that moment of, of, uh, <laughs> of, of rather, uh, rather uh, serious humor? I mean, the, the levity that they, they brought to such a serious subject indeed it was kind of you know kind of uh you know reenacting uh if you had an action figure that 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 was to be beaten again not to make light of uh of, of the topic roots covered but they are so familiar with each other and and, and i appreciated that they were able to they were able to t- look back at another piece of culture that so many people are familiar with and, and just kind of put it in, put it in, in its perspective of maybe there's a reason that there's no action figures for roots, but there are for, you know, for, our, for our, our fun space TV show. And Pete also mentioned was uh, the fact that there were a number of, a uh, number of directors on stage along with uh, probably the most uh, senior of them all, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. From the moment that he comes out uh, chewing gum as he always is, uh, you know, fumbling around where where do i sit what 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 are these these lights back here etc cetera, etc cetera. just the the zaniness and again it's not scripted but they they have their patter and they play and when the questions came up with this cast given that so many of them have directed episodes of the show and then moved into um in frake's case uh feature films that um you know they were regarded between different casts like deep space nine and and then with different directors as you know acting like children and incorrigible and and you know the like and and that sense of fun really came across. Uh, Michael Dorn relayed a story where, uh, first of all, they got the reputation of being serious once you yelled action, but then when you yelled cut, it was uh, it was like herding cats. And there was one story where uh, apparently Jonathan Frakes that 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 energy that that we saw up on stage is something that he would bring to the sound stage and. They yelled cut and he all of a sudden starts trying to ba- literally bounce off the wall, except these are all Hollywood sets. So he goes through the wall. And as as Michael Dorn said, Johnny's little legs were sticking out through a hole in the wall. Um, it was just it, it was it was um, they, they, they painted a picture of mayhem and fun uh, while making the show, which is not what we want to hear at the end of the day. They're all friends and they all had fun making the show that we all enjoyed watching. Yeah, I mean, was it Hollywoody as you discussed, Matt, off air that, oh, John is the best director that I've worked with? Yeah, no, he's a, the best director I've worked with. Yeah, there, there, there was a, a little bit of back padding, but you know, it's it's to be expected. They're they're old friends at this point. We're we're coming next year to the thirtieth anniversary of the next gen my god where does where does time go matt and um 
yeah it, again it was what it needed to be and they provided the the show at that point pete we had been in the uh the the sunless confines of the main stage for several hours at that point uh we we decided to go out stretch our legs we saw that there were people lining up for uh entry into the main stage did some math figured we'd be able to get back in um but after a quick bathroom break and quick uh refill the water break and uh the, the briefest of looks through the uh through the glassy roof of the javits at uh at actual sunshine uh we went back in for which panel pete that would be on screen Star Trek's Hollywood cast speaks and the two cast members there, uh, Bruce Greenwood, who played Captain Pike in both the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek uh, reboot and um, Star Trek Into Darkness, as well as Dr. Peter Weller, who played Admiral Marcus in uh, Into Darkness as well. While the uh, panel host, uh, who, who, let's say, could have been better, while he didn't bring gobs and gobs and gobs of Star Trek focus to the hour, this was a panel that, in my mind, I was prepared to skip entirely, or I was prepared to come into partway through so that we could be there for, for the next panel or that sort of thing. And I feel so privileged that we were there for the entire thing because hearing these two uh, old Hollywood pros talk about, yes, their Star Trek connection, but then also talk about a bunch of other things related to their careers, related to their personal lives. It was, it was just this, this unexpected uh, gift of, of um, I don't know, what it's like to be an actor, to be a professional actor and to be successful at it for, for many, many years. It was excellent. It really was. And uh, Peter Weller, what an interesting, complex guy. Uh, you know, one, one of the things that drew my attention during the uh, panel, um, and it was a little bit more intimate after the, the first couple that we had with as many as as many on stage as there were, um, is, you know, Greenwood's kind of like, the the guy that uh you know he's he's a little bit more rough and tumble and you know asked late in the panel you know what he what he's got coming out he, he couldn't even tell you he's he's done so much work you'd have to check his imdb uh page and weller is just this intellectual guy who has earned his phd not you know had a had an honorary one bestowed on him and a contrast, but at the same time, so similar in their approaches. I mean, two super, super, super smart guys. Uh, Peter Weller, who uh, who has a uh, a doctorate in um, in Italian Renaissance art history uh, from UCLA, his dissertation Alberti before Florence. Early sources informing Leon Battista Alberts de de Pictura. I mean, super, super smart guy academically, in addition to his uh, his kind of professional pursuits. Bruce Greenwood, not the not the doctorate, but just a guy who is interested in art, in life. He, he spoke about some of the smaller movies that he's done where it's not 
the the Star Trek trailer. It's not craft services, and and he just loves being out there. If if the role means you got to climb a climb and hike a mountain for three days to get to the location, that's what you signed up for. If you have to be in the middle of nowhere, that's what, that that's part of it, man. And both of them, I think, just had this sense to tie it back to to the reference made uh, in the Growing Up Trek panel about about the lean years. They both have this sense of live in the here and now. You have an awesome job right now, man. They want to take you to to they they want to take you to uh, to Toronto to make a movie. By God, I'm going to find out the best the best time in Toronto for the six weeks that I'm there. And. To bring it back to Trek, uh, Greenwood having been in uh, two of the rebuted uh, Kelvin timeline movies and Weller joining the second of those, um, you know, being on set and, you know, turning to Greenwood like, you know, is is it always like this? And he's like, yeah, this is for real. And you know, the amount of work that Weller's done to say it was the best experience he ever had on a set um, with the attitude and, and the professionalism and J.J. And Abrams thanking the boom guy publicly and, and all this stuff, uh, you know, and it comes across in the work, but you don't realize what it's like as they do their work. And... Uh... While I would uh, say that the the host of the panel was a bit lacking um, in that uh, we did not focus on things from Bruce Greenwood's uh, resume that that uh, perhaps are a bit more contemporary, like uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson or or Mad Men, uh, or even old classics like St. Elsewhere and Knott's Landing, they did spend some time talking about this movie that most of us had not heard of before Meek's Cutoff, which at first I was like, okay, the host wants to talk about this movie. But the idea that they went to the American Southwest to make this low-budget movie about, uh, uh, about uh, you know, travelers heading out to, to Oregon, the Oregon Trail kind of thing. I mean, it was like, what other gems are in Bruce Greenwood's resume? I have to check this movie out. And again, that was another opportunity for Bruce Greenwood. He talks about about the dust there and all of a sudden the room is quiet because bruce greenwood is an actor darn it he can command a room <laughs> and and you take one step and the dust just comes up and hangs in the air and we're all like tell us more about the dust tell us more about this the, the dust for this movie that 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 no one has ever seen i mean just just par excellence absolutely fantastic to the point where he's interesting weller in this movie that he's made based on the premise that he didn't know and that uh, uh, Greenwood's also made a movie, you know, at altitude in, in Pakistan and, you know, things like that. And, and there you've got Weller, who was to film Naked Lunch um, in Morocco and Gulf War One breaks out and the, instead they've got to shift to Toronto and what is a very visually uh, unusual film to uh, watch that wouldn't work maybe in that other setting certainly would have been different. But, um, you know, the, the, the thing that, that brought it back, you mentioned the, the, the host's lack of ability. And I think we saw that throughout several of those panels. Um, here's a guy in Weller who, uh, if enterprise ends, 
Star Trek Enterprise ends in a way that people, uh, you know, have talked about only because it's it's deemed as this love letter to um, 18 straight years of Star Trek on the air, as opposed to ending that show in a satisfying way for those characters. Um, Peter Weller was a guest at the very end of Enterprise, indeed, what is the last self-contained Enterprise um, episode before the finale, and that that doesn't even get referenced. He was in the second-to-last hour of Star Trek TV prior to this uh, resumption that's going to happen in uh, 2017, and that that doesn't even come up. That was a little bit of an oversight. Well, I, I think it's it, it, it was clear in that panel in particular that the, the host talked about the things he wanted to talk about. Um, kind of audience be damned almost. It just happened to be that the these two absolutely fabulous actors who are fascinating and who have, ha- have way more experience uh, and way more to kind of tell about their lives than, than I think we would have expected or that the audience was maybe prepared for um it's a credit to the two guests i mean you see the cast of the next generation speak do you really want to hear a lot about uh i don't know about uh jonathan frake's interest in building uh you know ships and bottles to make something up not really you want to hear him talk about there i was wearing the the space suit because he doesn't call it a uniform he calls it a space suit and i was at lunch and you know or i talked to gene roddenberry those are the things you want to hear from them these two guys just unleashed to hear about their interests in in art both of them got a little political as well which um i mean regardless of whether we're on the same way wavelength with them or not politically it was just nice to hear hear them share a point of view and hear them kind of go a little go a little off script and uh and you know what was talking about the military or talking about uh gender issues or things of that sort it, just a wonderful opportunity for two really smart guys interesting guys passionate guys artistic guys to talk about super giant careers that they've had and to bring it back you know one of the uh questions they were asked from the audience was about having worked with uh anton yelchin and granted uh bruce queenwood had more experience doing that dr weller admitted to only knowing him about a week but, you know, with his untimely demise in, uh, in June, you know, a little more than a month before Star Trek Beyond came out and Greenwood hadn't even seen Star Trek Beyond until a couple days before he's at this panel and, you know, bringing it all together, uh, you know, no spoilers, but, you know, at the end there when, uh, when Kirk says to, to absent friends and, you know, Gelchon uh, is is in the uh, the shot, and they they both talked about how he lit up the room, and Greenwood hadn't been to the memorial, and that there were people of every age that this young artist, somebody who had he lived his his life longer, could have had a a career even bigger than these these two tremendous actors. And the way in which Greenwood told that story, I, I, I don't want to suggest at all that he was kind of acting or he was putting it on. 
or anything like that but the way that he kind of let the emotion of the moment come through him I, you know at first i thought he he's going to he's going to he's going to start to cry here and i don't know if he stopped himself again i'm not suggesting that he was he was hamming it up for the audience but just the way that he let the emotion of his memories flow through him as he was telling the story was was befitting the memory of 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 the young man that they were talking about and and just another way in which in which you said wow bruce greenwood can keep an audience spellbound and of course the same for weller who had this had this different energy throughout a little bit more kind of an abrasive uh energy but but wonderful nonetheless this this was such a rewarding panel to go to in part because I didn't have a whole lot of interest in going to it, and it was fantastic. It was. Pete, there's one more panel that we want to talk about. That will be dropping in a couple of days. Uh, of course, it was the panel about Star Trek Discovery. We're going to save that for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek itself, so coming out on uh, September 8th, 2016. Uh, our way of kind of, uh, after all these looks back, a chance to look ahead at the, at the future of Star Trek. So uh, that, of course, is only a couple days away. And uh, I guess with that, Pete, let's, uh, let's start with, if, uh, if people want to continue the conversation, how can they do so? You can find us on Twitter at FantasticGeek. That's uh, fantastic with a PH, all one word. You can find myself on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 8,283 followers can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. Pete mentioned how to get in touch with us on Twitter. You can also find us under the Fantastic Geek name on Instagram, Gmail, and the dot com. But wait, Pete, there's more! facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek again with the ph all one word like it today well as mentioned we'll be back in just a couple of days to talk star trek discovery so until then i will say kapla the human adventure continues <laughs>